You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for May 13th, 2016. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the audition line of Never Trump the Musical. It's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. We're actually recording on Friday the 13th because our unlucky recording yesterday crashed. So It cacked on us. In fact, right this minute, I'm checking to make sure I am recording. Yeah. Am I? It's, uh... Am I? Hmm... I'm recording, Good. On, and it's monitoring, and it's recording. So I'm we'll gonna, just do it live. I'm we'll not going to touch live. any of these fancy, shiny buttons here. Yeah. I'm just going to keep talking and, and move on ahead. And it's Friday the 13th, because yep. that's what happens on Friday the 13th. And, and we both spring, have a little bit of... Um, time for Reagan, and oh yeah, we're both sick. Yeah, so. yeah, we both have a little congestion. So, yeah. But by Jiminy Christmas, it was such a slow news week that we thought we'd just put Again. up our feet, yeah. have a cup of joe, and just... Talk about trifles like recipes and potatoes and what's <laughs> happening in the garden. Yeah. Actually. I thought we would talk about problems. Yeah. 99 problems. Let's, let's talk about uh, our problems. Let's talk about our relationship. Not our problems. No. no and not our relationship. No. Our relationship is fine. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump's problems versus Hillary Clinton's problems versus Bernie Sanders' problems versus conservatism's problems. Mm-hmm. And starting with. Uh, Week Donald, which is now the hashtag that thank you, thank you, Daily Show, Trevor Noah, mm-hmm. really has caught on on Twitter, and I hope it continues. I smell a success here with Week Donald. I think that's wonderful. You know my, uh, you know my preference. Yeah, isn't yours Neutron Don? It is. Yeah, it is because I, because it he is a perfect political WMD designed to destroy the Republican Party and leave their office space and PCs intact. <laughs> and it also flows more trippingly off the tongue than weak Donald. But okay, you know, it hey. rhymes. Yeah, it's it's good in that sense. Yeah, uh, but uh, Donald Trump uh, has a whole new set of problems now that he is the uh, presumptive nominee mm-hmm. of the Republican Party. Yeah, he does. Uh, apparently, he has to get uh, uh, Paul Ryan to, uh, as you put it. Mm-hmm. Bend the knee, and yeah. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh-huh. Um, and and what I find very interesting about Donald Trump's problems is he doesn't see it as a problem no. that he has flip flopped on absolutely everything that he stood for when he had a primary opponent. Right? Why would he? Taxes, minimum wage, banning Muslims is now just a suggestion. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how uh, it, there's there's no timing now. There's no there's no way to tell, and there never will be any way to tell from now on how the Republican primary voter reacts to that flip flopping because he's the only one left. Right. I think we can intuitively understand, <laughs> based on our uh, privileged position as liberals, mm-hmm. who have um, watched and warned against and been the subject of the slurs and and slander of the Republican base for decades now. We can sort of guess what they're going to do. They don't care. Yeah. They don't give a shit. Um, 
Fox has been very successful. Um, if we get a little bit of time towards the end, I'll talk a little bit about the Chuck Todd um, uh, interview. Yeah. Um, that yeah. was interesting. I'm not sure we'll have time this week to do that. But, uh, you know, even Chuck Todd was willing to say, look, these problems began in 1996 mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Fox News mainstreamed right-wing talk radio. The Tea Party. Exactly. And, the, exactly. and right-wing talk radio became a TV station called Fox News. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then they lost control of it. And he said that on a podcast. Uh, podcast that he thinks no one is listening to. Yeah. So, you know, that's that we can go into more detail about that, yeah. like you say, in another in a, in a post or in another show. Yeah. Um, there was also a post at Decode DC mm-hmm. by Dick Meyer. I don't know who he is, but he wrote a post called GOP can't crack up because it isn't sane now. Right. And he points out um, he said that there. There are just a there is no GOP uh, group anymore. There's no coalition. That's the word. He said, just eliminate that from your from your lexicon. There is and hasn't been for many years a GOP coalition. Instead, he calls it um, a group of gaudy birds trying to fly above Fort Trump. Yeah. And he he says there are owls who are. they appear to be wise and serious, but they're really just passive aggressive and easily ignored, like all of the Bushes. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. All the whole Bush family. They're just, you know, out of the political power structure and don't matter. And uh, then he calls the second group the Chicken Hacks, which <laughs> I really like. Nice. Uh, Bill Crystal. Yeah. You know, these are, uh, is the prototype of that. It's uh, bellicose advocates of George Bush's Middle East wars who never served in the military themselves and now want to send another warrior, not them, to the certain death of a third party candidate, which, I, yeah. you know, that's a really nice analogy. And he asks, why doesn't Bill Crystal just run himself? Exactly. He's in government. He's smooth, well-dressed, ubiquitous on TV and has opinions on everything. Put up or shut up. Come on. You know, <laughs> if, if Sheldon Adelson hadn't, you know, already come out for Trump. Yeah. Blow in a call to him. You know, yeah. you know lots of rich people. You know lots of Bill. rich people, Bill Crystal. Yeah, yeah. And blow in a call and say, look, I will run, you know, I will do the necessary thing. Hey, you and Dick Cheney yeah. could run right. a mighty fine um, doomed campaign. Sure. Um, and the answer is, of course, they, they don't uh, have any interest in doing any heavy lifting. Yep. Um, uh, there's two more groups. One is the Turkey Vultures, and the Turkey Vultures include Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. These are people who will circle the looming crash indifferent to the outcome because they can survive on the carrion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That doesn't matter one way or the other how this turns out. Paul Ryan will still be in the house, still be yada, yada, yadding on the TV. And finally, and I, I think I'm going to leave this one because I know you want to get into a lot of this type of bird, uh-huh. the bald eagles. Yeah. And the bald eagles are Lindsey Graham, David Brooks, George Will, RedState.com, Weekly mm-hmm. Standard, and National Review, mm-hmm. many others that are the GOP eggheads who um, have attacked and condemned Trump full on. However, they are in a self-imposed cage. So we'll talk about them in a minute because I know you have a lot to say about them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Trump's problem with um, tax returns uh, – I want to talk about because I think that's something where the media is not going to let that go. Yeah, maybe. You're you're very cynical about this whole Trump thing. I, I'm no, I'm very cynical about the media. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I've seen how they are absolutely unable to um, do their job. Yeah. 
yeah. at all. Ever. I wrote a really good post about this last night. Everyone and, should go and read Drift Glass. Uh, the media doing their job post is really good. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and you could trans and, and it was this guy from the Washington Post, you know, giving a series of very specific suggestions to the media about how they could uh, hold Donald Trump to account if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And you really in could part, not let them phone into their show. Yeah. That was one of the very simple things they could do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do your homework. Mm-hmm. Have a follow up question. When he lies, don't just let it fly past you say wait a minute wait a minute you know do real real basic high school journalism um that uh, presumably you were trained at some point to do uh and the thing that makes me um really discouraged that they're ever going to do that is they don't like stories involving math and lying they like stories involving penises Yep. And they don't want to talk about hard questions that makes one side look incredibly stupid and, and disastrously wrong. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you could pick up this gentleman's critique of the media, move it back three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and it would still be true. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this, his critique was exactly what liberals are saying about um, the media during the Bush administration, mm-hmm. during the run up to the Iraq war. Uh, um, Jim Walcott wrote an entire book called Attack Poodles. Yes, about right. how compliant uh, the media was and how we're, they were willing to roll over for Bush. This is the exact same mistake that brought on the Iraq War. Yeah. Absolutely, and these are I- largely the same people mm-hmm. who were doing it. So they don't have any moral fiber. They don't have any moral character. They are corporate employees. And if you know, if Phil Griffin were to issue a memo. At MSNBC, it says, go after Trump, hammer and tongs, man. Go mm-hmm. after him. Take him out. Take him down. This guy's dangerous. Um, you know, I want you to all be little Edward R. Moreau's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. MSNBC would light up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. But that's yep. not the direction, obviously, they're getting from their owners at Comcast. Yes, right. And right. so they are laying off. You know, they still have a three-hour block in the morning, which is run by Donald Trump's very best friend, uh, Joe Scarborough. Even though they're having spats from time to time. Yeah, well, you know, that's you know. good for ratings. Yep. Good hey, for ratings. Um, I have a comment and a question for sure. you. One, the comment is, uh, going back to that Chuck Todd podcast interview, I thought it was really interesting that, uh, and and this relates to Trump and, mm-hmm. and his coverage, that they're not really interested in covering issues at all. They're interested in filling minutes. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating that Chuck Todd kept talking over and over again, even even when he's talking about interviewing Obama, uh-huh. talking about the eight-minute interview versus the 20-minute interview. Yes, yes. And it wasn't about the content of the interviews at all. No. It was, well, you know, when we do an eight-minute interview, it's this. And when we do a 20-minute interview, it's this. And sometimes we'll even do a 25-minute interview, and that's a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. And so when you're interviewing Trump and you have – an eight-minute interview, you're going to have – you're not thinking about his answers. In fact, you're probably not even listening to his answers. Mm-hmm. You're, you've, got, you've got a stopwatch on your laptop in front of you, and you're asking the question, and he's going to be allowed to spew for 1.50 mm-hmm. minutes. That's it, one minute and 50 seconds. And then you're going to ask another question. And it's so I, I really think that watching that and watching interviews with Trump particularly – and realizing the the host or the interviewer is not actually even listening, right, uh, to what Trump is saying. No, they're just um, they're teeing up their next snarky their comment next or question next because question. commercial is coming in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. So, and and they've got you know their producer in their ear telling them, okay, you know, 
he's gone on for a minute and a half. So wind that up, wind this answer up and get on to the next thing because things Trump, have to move. Donald Trump understands perfectly well the cadences and demands oh, yeah. of television. He mastered. He can he, filibuster for five minutes. Who, who was it that was saying that last oh, night? Me. I don't know. Lots well, of people. The, I, the, the, the sense that um, Kennedy understood television, Roosevelt understood radio. Right. Kennedy understood television and Donald Trump understands reality TV. Yeah. And so and and what cable news is all about. He really does understand that. Um, and he depends on the media attention deficit disorder and the memory hole that just drops stories every three days because they're over. They're mm -hmm. done. And so Flint, Michigan, you know, keeps popping up because Obama went there. You have to actually keep some sort of new announcement going mm -hmm. when it's actually a crisis where Americans are being poisoned every day, it will just be eliminated from right. the discussion. But um, yesterday we had, you know, a, an entire press gaggle. Today, a day, a no, no, day no, I mean, long press gaggle. I yeah. mean, yesterday we had an entire press gaggle filming Donald Trump's motorcade. Motorcade. Yep. And then waiting around with their thumb off their ass for a meeting to happen. And then and waiting for the over, plane to take off. And then they filmed the plane sitting on the tarmac, and they filmed it flying away. Yeah. And the whole this, day. This is this is news. This is all yeah. that news is anymore. This is yeah. all it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, this podcast, you know, Chuck Todd was you know talking proudly about he doesn't let Donald Trump do phoners anymore. Mm -hmm. But he really wishes everybody in his industry would follow suit, but they don't. Yep. And, you know, there's this other network that will let him get away with it or these other networks that will get him away with it. I'm not going to name names because, of course, you might end up working there. And I can't fault them. But MSNBC it. does. His network does. Yeah. No, he's talking about the Meet the Press, the sort of the, the jewel of the of the MSNBC, what used to be the right. prestige show. But there are these other shows that let him get away with it. And he'll just go there. You well, know? interestingly it, enough, Chris Wallace has never let him phone in. Yeah. He's the one on Fox has never let him phone in. So, uh, you know, kudos to him. But uh, Joe Scarborough lets him phone in. Sure. Every day, whenever he wants. And interestingly enough, Fox and Friends, which is the number one morning news show, by the way, on cable. By a long shot. Yeah. By a long shot. Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump's up to the point of the new, of the West Virginia primary had phoned into that show five out of nine days mm -hmm. preceding the West Virginia primary. So he is really circling the wagons in terms of making sure that that Fox vote is nailed down. Yeah. And on the night of the West Virginia primary, Hannity had his panel on with Geraldo and a bunch of other people. And by the way, Geraldo thinks that um, Donald Trump should try to nail down the hip hop vote in Ohio. I'm not yeah. making that up. Yeah. Nail that down. Um, Nail, it nail down. that down. Because, mm -hmm. you know, th with them and then the new Black Panther Party, well, you'll, you'll get your 15 percent of the black vote. Right. Hillary's trying to nail down the swing dancing vote in <laughs> Illinois. And I wish her all the luck in the world with that. Um, to her credit, she's at, she and her husband have of 40 years yes. have released 33 years of tax returns. Yeah. So what about those other seven years, Hillary? Yeah. What, what are about, you hiding? What about those years? <laughs> so it, let's get it. Let's get a congressional committee looking for the missing seven years of Clinton tax returns. I'm well, sure that's going to happen. And, and there's there is this collective throwing up of hands going, well, he just won't answer our questions. Yeah, he just you know, he'll just run the clock out. 
That's because you're really bad at your job. That's because you're really, really bad at your job. When he starts to do that, cut his mic. When when he starts to do that, say, I'm not going to let you filibuster. And then the follow-up question is, why aren't you answering the question? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to hide? What are you lying about? What's in your tax return that you won't let Americans know about? Everybody else... If Nixon was, you know, gave us yeah. his tax returns. That was Why on, on Daily Show last night. Yeah, yeah. And that's the next question. While he was being audited, Nixon gave up his tax return during an audit, which was Trump's excuse for a while. And yeah, and, but that's that is the next question. But that is the question that no one will follow up with because yeah. I want him on my show next week yep. or my ratings or he'll go across the street to my competitor. Yeah, and I'll be fired because yeah, I'll be fired. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there we have the media. The media is uh, – this is why I'm, I'm, I have zero confidence that they will cover Donald Trump. This is why I the, – the story today is um, this fake call-in. Yes, um, right. Which right. If, I were, if I were Donald Trump, I would plant that story. Yeah, because that takes everybody's mind off the tax return, because right? Because they just their tail over a 20-year story, yep. and they try to get quotes from people, and – it is such a stupid story. It's a balloon boy story. Yes, it is. It's the baby in the well story. Mm-hmm. It is such a completely empty, dumb thing to chase. And they're all chasing it like wild dogs. Yep. And it gives Donald Trump the chance to say, look at these idiots. Look yep. what they're doing. A 20-year-old story. Who who knows? Who cares? But that's because, you know why? These are the worst people in the world. They're mm-hmm. the worst people in the world. They've been out to get me my whole life. And, you know, four more stories like that, and he can walk right through the convention. Yeah. Yeah, um, because he's he has he has played the refs. He has worked the refs to the point that they can't say squat about him. Yeah, they've shown and, themselves to be idiots. And yep. they have they have done this to themselves. Yep. They and and the the Chuck Todd crying poor mouth. You know, yeah. we just can't. You know, his viewers. He contends his viewers are very smart people. <laughs> they, I, I, he doesn't press that hard. You know, people ask me why I don't bring a sledgehammer. But I don't. I don't think that's appropriate for Sunday morning. And besides, my viewers are smart. They can tell when someone's lying. Wow. But, but there's this entire. So he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to do anything. They can just tell from looking mm-hmm. at a person, right? Yeah. Right. You push once or twice, but they can tell when they're being misled. Meanwhile, he's willing to say there's this whole other news universe called Fox News, which has led to the Tea Party and the Donald Trump, where the people are idiots and they're 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 willing. They're delighted to be lied to. And clearly they can't tell what Donald Trump's lying or they don't care. Those are the streams that never cross. Yeah. Okay, Chuck, how about you do a story about how Republican voters are fucking morons? Yeah. Because you clearly think so. When when you take, you know, when you let your whatever is a little left of your hair down, when you let your hair down and talk, you know, among your pals, you're willing to say, yeah, Fox News is the problem and Republican voters are idiots and they don't listen to the truth and this has – run wildly out of control and led to, you know, this disastrous outcome. Fine. How about do a story about that? Mm-hmm. How about talk in those, in that vocabulary on your show? Because your viewers are smart, Chuck. They're smart. They appreciate that sort of thing. Well, no, because daddy spank. Yes, right. And then right. Chuck has to go out and look for real work. And that doesn't, that isn't going to happen. So, you know, I have abandoned the media uh, as a source of credible information but I don't, I don't abandon the people who produce content for the media, the people who write for the media or the people who do uh, as a source of amusement and sort of counterintelligence. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can go to see, you know, like Eric Erickson, for example. Um, Eric Erickson, who is a powerful conservative, a, 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 an opinion maker, a CNN contributor, 
a respected, more or less respected conservative. Um, who, who nonetheless called a Supreme Court justice a goat fucker. Yes, who, who puts the lie to this fantasy that is uh, my personal hobby horse in the last couple of weeks that the reason Drift Class can't get a paying gig anywhere doing anything is I'm too strident, and I use yeah. the word fuck a lot, yeah. and I say things that are a little off-color. And they go, well, okay, here's Eric Erickson. That's, it's really weird, because Eric Erickson says inflammatory, awful, dangerous, seditious, crazy shit all the time, and here he is on CNN. But he won't say that on CNN, and you and I have talked about that before, and he won't name names on CNN. He won't say, look, um, Wolf Blitzer, look at what a a useless waste of flesh you are on CNN right. breathlessly waiting for Donald Trump's plane to take off. Don't you think you ought to get a real job? Like, as you said yesterday, selling tube socks on the overpass. Yeah. Bill Crystal, <laughs> Bill Crystal. But and, Eric, and Eric, you, I'm afraid people are afraid of you because you threaten the, the club. Well, yeah, but I can, I can threaten without saying fuck. Well, yeah, but you're still going to threaten. I'm, so. going to, I'm going to simply, I'm going to cavoodle the question. I'll just ask the question. Yeah, but I, that's why I like living in the cornfield. I know, because nobody wants that question asked. No, and, 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 but you get to ask it. And you sure. get to ask it from a position of fuck you. I mean, we, we're now repeating a lot of conversations that we've had during the week. But yeah. Drift Glass played for me a clip from a movie that John Goodman was in. Yeah, a bad movie with a good, bad movie with with a a good, good scene. Clip. And the clip is about having fuck you money. Mm -hmm. You buy your house and you buy a cheap shitbox Japanese car and you put the rest of your money. If you if you make two million dollars on a drug deal or whatever it is, because these are bad people in this movie. Everyone knows you do this. You do this. You you get your two million dollars. You buy a house. You buy a shitbox Japanese car. You put the rest of the money in at five percent and you pay your taxes with it. And that's your and fortress now, of that's solitude. That's your fortress of solitude. You can say, fuck you. Somebody wants you to do something that you don't want to do. Fuck you. You don't have to because you are in a position of financial security. Right. And you and I are not in exactly in a position no. of financial security no. at this point. No. But, you know, we're not paying New York rent. We're not paying right. Los Angeles rent. And we're not in a position where, and I, this is what I said to you this week, was having you on their show might put someone in a position where they had to explain to Joe Scarborough why they had you on their show. Sure. Yes, I totally understand that. And you can say to them, well, fuck you. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. not not that you have the house paid off and no. the car paid off. We don't have either one of those things paid off, by the no, way. By a long but, shot. But. <laughs> but you are in a position as a writer where you don't need them to validate your existence. I, that's I don't really have. important. As is, as is demonstrated by the numerous typos that show up in my writing. <laughs> uh, I don't have an editor of any kind looking over my shoulder at all telling me anything. Um, I your go wife or... reads your blog every once in a while and sends you a typo alert email, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, and that's <laughs> delightful, and I really And you have commenters that. who will call you out on your spelling yeah. sometimes, too. But Two yeah. I can stand, three is too many. Here, yeah. fix it, fix it. <laughs> no apostrophe, dumbass. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. I'm, yeah, I'm sleepy right. and I'm typing fast. Yeah. But the point being um, that we are in a weirdly privileged position Yeah. as we exist right now in that we can stand in our cornfield and observe the entire constellation. Yeah. Um, we can look at the entire political constellation, the entire mm-hmm. media constellation mm-hmm. from a distance where th- there's nobody screaming at us. There's no editors giving us deadlines. Mm-hmm. We have our own deadlines. Mm-hmm. I try mm-hmm. to post many things a day and I have right. my own internal deadlines. But 
we don't have anybody making it very clear that, you know, certainly would be a shame if we shut your blog down and you wrote about that mean story about Scarborough. That would be a terrible thing to see. Nobody's threatening us because, you know, why would they bother to do that? But it yeah. gives us a really privileged position to say, oh, okay, if this is – we've used this metaphor before. This is um, Martin Luther writing into Rome. Oh, oh, yes, I guess right, the right. whole fucking system is corrupt from top to bottom. Everyone involved in this vast enterprise has a stake in continuing this insane lie, this insane delusional lie that they are all – this is why the media bubble reminds me so much of – the dregs of conservatives mm -hmm. because they both exist in their own, what they believe to be their own little secret bubble. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, you know, and we can pass around our dirty jokes and our, 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 our uh, racist jokes and our sexist jokes. And we're talking among ourselves, but you're not, we can all see you. We can all hear you. And yeah, you're a bunch right. of assholes and you're terrifying and you think you're being secret and you think you're being clever and you're Dunning-Kruger, man. You are, you're too stupid to realize that we can all see what you're doing. But see, I think that's where Trump fails. I think that's that it is at that point that Trump fails in the general election. And first of all, I really love the fact that a lot of liberal congressmen are coming out and and yeah. calling uh, for you know the world to be on fire and really take this guy seriously mm -hmm. and understand that he can win yes. and therefore everybody has to vote. And and they are really playing a long game here. Don't make no mistake that. By saying that, and I'm not saying don't take them seriously, because we all do need to get out and vote, and we all do need to take it seriously that if we don't, Trump could get the White House. He could. But there, there is a liberal future to the United States electorate. Yes, there is. Uh, particularly socially, but also, I think, economically. The, the millennial generation has had it with capitalism. Yep. And so, because it's done nothing for them. No, it's, 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 <laughs> their it's, whole lives. It's right? laid off their parents and left right. them in debt. That's right. all it has done all for them. All it's done. Yep. So uh, what happened during the McCain campaign, in addition to Sarah Palin, was the camera did get turned on people in McCain's audience yep. who said that Barack Obama was a Muslim. And, and you know, that was McCain's finest moment was when it he was. shut that woman down and said, no, he's a family man and he's a good American. Mm -hmm. You know, that that. But you saw that person in the audience. And you saw people holding up signs that said, uh, you know, um, white America will be in prison if, yeah. if the black man is elected. You know, yeah. that this is this is all of this racism just came right to the forefront in 2008. And it's been and, there for the last eight years, seven and a half years, it's been yeah, there right on the surface. Right right on for the anybody surface. wants to see it. Yeah. Anybody that wants to see it. And so there is, I think, a um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. There, okay. there is a, a sense in the average electorate member, the average voter who doesn't think about politics every day, who doesn't read Decode DC and Cricks and yeah. Liars and Drift Glass every day, that what they want when they vote is to feel that they have voted for, for the cool person or they have voted for someone that's not going to make them look like an idiot right. or a racist or evil. And I remember in 2008, and maybe you do too, um, be, I was in a restaurant and – this group of 30-somethings were sitting there having after-work drinks, and one of the white men in that group said, I'm going to vote for McCain. And this was October. You know, mm -hmm. it's, everybody's talking about the election at this point. Mm -hmm. Everyone else, all of his peers at the table told him, oh, no, you mm -hmm. can't do that. Look at who's following him. They're all racist assholes. You can't do that. 
And the waitress walked over to him and told him he couldn't vote for McCain. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's risking her tip. Yep. Yep. <laughs> to say, you can't do that. Oh, my God. He's so old and he's he's got all these racists voting for him. And Sarah Palin, I mean, come on. She's not qualified. And it was but it was peer pressure. It was you can't do this because it's not cool. Yep. And I think as you see, there the can't. Donald Trump is going to make appearances because he he loves rallies. I mean, sure. that's his thing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see the ugliest white trash America show up for these rallies. Mm -hmm. And the signs are going to be ugly. And the and and watch out when Obama starts campaigning for the Democratic. Now, that's that's the part that I'm waiting for. Yeah, because yeah. this is you know, the, the, there is still. Let me let me state for the record for the millionth time. I, I was listening to the Stephanie Miller show when I was driving around this morning, mm -hmm. and she driving just, kids to school. Thank driving, you very much. Driving kids to school and then driving stuff back to kids who forgot things at school. <laughs> um, but she was she's in the same position we are in this yeah. in this sense. She has said very consistently all along, "I love Tom Hartman. He's a good liberal. I'm a good liberal. Mm -hmm. We have differences of opinion, but we agree that we're, we're we both should pursue aggressively." And passionately, our candidate, and come the November, we should come together and do what's best for the country. And Tom Hartman is is a solid Bernie supporter. Yeah. Yep. And of course, because uh, he's a socialist. Yeah. And yeah. And Stephanie Miller is a lesbian, so of course she's for Hillary. Of course she is. <laughs> but but she has said throughout, let let everything proceed forward. Yep. Don't drop out of the race. Right. Bernie Sanders should stay in as long as he wants to, as Absolutely. long as he thinks he has a path. He still has this. It's a narrow path, but he still has one. He should stay in. He should fight for what he believes in. He should stay in all the way to the convention. There's nothing wrong. That's what yeah, politics is. Yeah. yeah. And she has been like abundantly clear, says this every day. And she gets this hate mail going saying, you know, all of these persistent, I'm never going to, I'm never going to listen to your show again. Yeah. All of your you, the way you demand that Bernie drop out of the race, the man you blah blah blah, and she's just like, "What the hell show are you listening to?" Well, they're not. They're listening with the special glasses. Yeah, yeah. they're listening with the special hearing aid that and only. And with, with the Twitter hashtags, actually, when I see someone hashtag drop out either candidate, that's yeah. my signal to unfollow no, them I'm on not Twitter. Interested. This <laughs> drop look, out Hillary, drop out Bernie. It's like okay. This is what a healthy political yeah. general election would look like in a sane country. Yeah. An FDR a Democrat versus a, an Eisenhower Republican. And I think that's Republican. right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's great. That's great. That's our party. That's the spectrum our party embraces. That's wonderful. And let them fight it out. Let them fight over policy. Let them fight over superdelegates. Yep. Let them fight over procedure. And... And I am fully aware that if Hillary is the nominee and gets elected president, that we liberals are going to have to keep an eye on her and keep her in line Absolutely. in terms of war. But you think we haven't had to do that for the past seven years? Yep. Of course we have. Yep. So I don't, you know, the, you're, you're pretending we don't have a job in this world. Of course we do. Well, no, after the election, you just put your feet up and let them run everything oh, and don't fine. say it. You know, I was asleep during the Bush administration because it was a white man Republican in, in mm -hmm. charge of the country. And then but, I woke up, right. But yeah. here's the thing. Once that is settled, mm -hmm. um, that's when they release the Kraken. Yeah. That's when Barack Obama... The dragon comes trail. to Khaleesi and that, says, yeah, exactly. all right, what do you need, Mommy? Exactly. <laughs> what, who, who would you like me to burn to the ground? Right. A Bill Clinton as a targeted energy weapon, not yeah. a sprawling, you know, let him talk about whatever the fuck he wants. No. 
Bill is a targeted weapon. He, it's if, very in effective. rabbit warren. He needs to stay inside yeah. his little rabbit warren. And, and speaking of warren, the you know, Professor Dr. <laughs> yes. Elizabeth Warren is going to be out there. Yep. Every Democratic congressperson is going to be out there. Yep. Every Democratic congressperson or every congressman is up for election. Everyone up for re-election on the left will be running ads saying, here's this horrible racist asshole who yeah. your congressman supports. Yeah. That's that's across the board. And if I had to advise the Clinton campaign to do anything, it would be just run ads of Donald Trump being Donald talking. Trump. Yes. All day long. Trump. Yeah. And, and talk yep. and a whole separate set of ads talking about policy mm -hmm. and policy initiatives and your vision for the future and children and women's issues and all those other things that you're so very, very good at. Uh, play to your strengths. Be a yeah. wonk on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm -hmm. and run, burn the house down. This guy, just quoting him back to himself. Yep, yep. Let over the madman talk. Yeah, I yeah. think that's exactly right. I also think that speaking to her strengths, if it, should she be the nominee? And I'm saying that because I do have respect for Sanders supporters. My kids are Sanders supporters. Yeah. I am, you know, I, I agree with Bernie's issues and I agree. You know, love Bernie Sanders. Uh, think he should stay in the race. I support the Democratic nominee for president, and mm -hmm. I I look at the math and I see that in addition to math, uh, Bernie Sanders has some real problems in California right now. Yeah, uh, he's had senior staff leave. He has fired staff. He is not running ads. He's got he's running uh, far lower fundraising um, targets than he used to have in March. Yeah. Um, so you know. Just looking at it unemotionally as a campaign, it's winding down. And yeah. I I see Sanders very quietly pivoting. I mean, if you listen to his entire West Virginia victory speech, which I did, mm -hmm. um, the the big cheer lines were about Democrats defeating Trump. And yeah. he, he said, we have our differences, but believe me, in November, the Democrats are going to defeat Trump. And he didn't mm -hmm. say, I'm going to defeat Trump. He made mm -hmm. it clear we are going to defeat Trump. And uh, so that, you know, there is a there is a subtle pivoting going on. There. Now, I don't want to pretend that there is not pressure from the establishment in Washington mm -hmm. for him to step out. Oh, of the yeah, race. that's bullshit. And uh, and yeah, the, and, the Mrs. You know, Mrs. Alan Greenspan, Andrea Mitchell. Yeah. Jesus. Just berating him. You know, practically yeah. for why are you staying in this race? Why are you keeping Hillary from her destiny? Why? Why? Well, Shut she's up, had her Andrew. she's had her handkerchief in a twist yes. over uh, Donald Trump talking about Hillary the wrong way and oh it's so terrible and it might hurt her and what are we going to do and everything that Andrea Mitchell says is all about her brunch with President Hillary Clinton and why is everybody spoiling my party plans right. for November? Which, you know. ironically, you know, when the Clintons arrived in Washington, remember, yeah. Sally Quinn, who said, they've destroyed our village. Yeah, they've ruined right. everything. Right. Well, now they've been They're there not classy place. enough, right? And now now they're the Aravis who are royalty in the city of Washington. Yeah. yeah after you impeached him. Yeah, and, you impeached you know, him. your society treated him like you know, hillbillies for the yep. first eight years of the presidency, right? So but now he's your friend. Yeah, right. And now right. he's fun. He comes to your power. fundraisers. You now come it's to his. sucking up to power. Exactly. And now it's why you're going to step out. Which Andrea, listen to me. Listen to me. You know. You know how I love you. Your husband's <laughs> insane. Um, the last Ayn Rand acolyte uh, uh, of that generation. Here's the. Here's why that's profoundly stupid. Hillary Clinton's 
one of her major assets that she is very clear about and that her people are very clear about is that she is battle tested, right? Mm-hmm. right? She can take any day. You can drop a house on her. You can drop the entire Gingrich monster 90s impeachment. 11 hours of testimony. Boom. You can hit right. it with anything, man. And and you, you can impeach her husband. You can humiliate her in public by dragging his affair through the through the headlines. You can sue her. You can put her under oath, you know, over and over again. And Donald Trump can call her everything but the C word yeah. on a and stage. She, and she just keeps coming. She yeah, just keeps coming yeah. with her, you know, in her pantsuit talking about policy. And talking about, yes, pre-K. She, her, I love that she, she took this opportunity this week when Donald Trump behaved like the asshole at work. And, and kudos to Joy Reid, who pointed out last night that Donald Trump is the guy who would be, if he wasn't the boss, would be continually dragged to HR until he was fired for yep. talking the way he does about women. Yep. And he... Uh, the, what he said about Hillary Clinton being an enabler, women heard that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the asshole ex-husband who cheated on me and thinks that men are entitled to that. And that if a, if a wife complains about her, about her cheating husband and mm-hmm. stands up for her rights, she's a bitch. Right. And so the way women heard that was asshole ex-husband. Yeah. And well- you're not going to vote for your ex-husband for president. No. And this well, is when, this is going to be interesting because this is he's going to be the first Republican in a long time who's going to lose married women. I really believe that. Yeah. Well, and and so I'm sorry. So, no, no, no. But that's absolutely right. You, you know, you, you know my official slogan of the 2016. <laughs> yes, I do. Tell us, you got not, like 92 to 100 retweets on this. I got retweets <laughs> from William Gibson. Wow. You know, yes. I got from the editors of magazines from from you know famous people I admire. Yeah. Um, so your slogan for the Republican Party is? Sure, he's a reckless, abusive, racist, narcissistic asshole, but I know I can change him. <laughs> yeah, because that's going to win over a lot of women. Yeah. Sure. As your strategy, that's going to win over lots of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hillary Clinton is indestructible. Yeah. She has a lot of drawbacks and flaws, and she comes with a lot of baggage, but she is strong. And do not help her by complaining to her opponent that he's being you're taking too long. It's not going to work. Look, if she is a a battleship who can take anything, then she's fine. Treat her like that. Treat her like and that. Respect her like that. Yeah. Let her do yeah. her thing. And I want, just Get. want to get back to the pre-K thing for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Hillary Clinton's strongest moments really are walking into kindergarten classrooms mm-hmm. and her face lights up and their faces light up and her interactions with children are so genuine. Yep. And that's what she really needs is these genuine moments. And I really wish, and I, I don't know if this is even possible, but I really wish that, you know, as a nice gift and civics lesson to a, I don't know, third, fourth grade classroom, uh-huh. she could invite them to the debates with Donald Trump Mm-hmm. And have a fourth grade class sit in the front row of the yep. debate between her and Donald Trump and let him talk to the children of America the way he wants to talk about Hillary Clinton. That's and, such a wonderful uh, idea. That's see such what a happens. Good... See, uh-huh. what, see how he's able to, you know, you're you're because you are talking to the children of America. You're talking to my kids, mm-hmm. my 12 year old daughter and my 13 year old daughter will be watching the debate. They will. They will. And, you know, Donald Trump, you're talking to them. So how, how does that come? How do you come across to a group of 
young female elementary school students and middle mm-hmm. school students. How do you mm-hmm. come across to them? You know, and, so, and here's the thing. Any other debate I can think of, presidential debate I can think of in the past, that wouldn't be a problem. No, it wouldn't. No. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't like. We wouldn't like. Oh, we can't let kids see this. This is gonna. But you know what? Just as a as a proof of concept yeah. of how completely batshit the right has gotten. Um, and and just put put some brakes on it. Yep. You know, and honestly, I, I when you when you mentioned this the other day, this is such a genius idea. This is what Martin Luther King did. Yes, it is. He it dress, is. You know, kids got dressed up in their Sunday best. Mm-hmm. And they were in the front lines of the civil rights movement. Yep. Pastors and church ladies and nuns and nuns yep. and rabbis and punch kids a nun, sheriff. and kids you white racist sheriff you're going to punch a nun there's a nun yeah. standing here in the in the going across the Edmund Pettus bridge the second time you know load what up, are you going to do about it yeah. load up the front the first three rows with that coalition yep and yep. let Donald Trump wave his dick around yeah. in front of them yep uh, and you know what here's the thing for his base that wouldn't be a problem they don't fucking yeah. care about any of those people. Yeah. Um, and th- now that's the thing about what's happening here that's, that's I think, also unique. When Mitt Romney was exposed as, <laughs> thank you, John Fugel saying, for being um, the Etch-A-Sketch guy. Yeah. You know, my, yeah. What's our strategy? Well, we're just going to make up a bunch of new shit because this old shit's used up and, you know, these idiots won't notice the difference. So ha ha ha. And we're just going to shake the Etch-A-Sketch and start over. That really was almost the beginning of the end of the um, Romney campaign. Yes, it was. Because it was really. so transparently obvious that he didn't that he just said what he had to say to the rubes and the haters and the pig people. Well, to and get those their few votes. opponents he had left in the primary race, uh, Newt Gingrich and uh, um, Santorum, yep. both jumped on that yeah. and and brought etch a sketches to their campaign rallies and so mm-hmm. forth. So yeah, it was a real thing, and it was something that was very visual. So everyone could kind of pick up on that right away and knew what an Etch-A-Sketch is. And, and yeah, it, it really worked as an anti mm-hmm. – uh, and, and it was his campaign manager who said right. it, which was so terrible. But, but that was – I mean, this is the thing. There was one moment in the Romney campaign that was that way. Yeah. You know, there was one moment when Romney you know, was caught on tape insulting essentially the, the middle class. Yep, yep. There was one moment when Romney got caught um, – quoting essentially a, a wingnut website about what Barack Obama really said and was corrected mm-hmm. and was humiliated. That Those moments happen 10 times a day every day with Donald Trump. You know, the things that yeah. absolutely derailed Mitt Romney uh, were because he was embarrassed by the fact he got caught, you know, saying these things. Nothing embarrasses Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, but what's fascinating is how the people who are now, you know, bending a knee to him and clinging to him and trying to build a thing around him, at least they had the decency to take Nixon off the stage for two or three years as they rebuilt him. You know, the old Nixon was was dead, was trash, was unelectable in 62, 64, and then they got to work tweaking him and putting the rouge on and teaching him how to speak a new language and teaching him how to pretend to be a human being. And by 68, he was ready to be rolled out again. They're trying to do this in real time on camera with Donald Trump. They're basically saying... You know all that stuff that Pop Pop was doing last week, you know, walking around with his dick hanging out and calling uh, African-Americans coloreds and making Mm -hmm. racist jokes and Mm -hmm. yelling out the window and peeing on grandma and slapping the kids around and throwing bottles at the the Hispanics next door. Yeah, we're going to teach him not to do so much of that. Yeah. That's okay, right? And then he'll be acceptable to everyone, right? Yeah. And 
and it is a measure of how completely sunk the media is that nobody looks at Paul Manafort and says, you must be fucking kidding me. This You can put all the pig lipstick on this you want. Your candidate is an inherently racist, sexist, xenophobic asshole. And we are going to report on the fact that they, you are running. Now, you can talk about all the ways you're going to perfume that all you want. But it's not my job to be a transcriber of what you say. Yes. It's my job to report on the facts as we know them. And I know how forgetting everything that ever happened five minutes ago, before five minutes ago, is sort of how conservatives function these days. But I don't need to go along with that bullshit. Yeah. And yeah. yet they do. And yep. yet they do. You know, yep. This is your ironclad rule of David Brooks. The Absolutely. Rule of David my, Brooks. You, ha you have to quote David Brooks what he said this week. You are forbidden to quote David Brooks from a week ago or two weeks ago and any time before that. Absolutely. And, and just as, as a cherry on top of this, I, I yeah. would like to mention um, Bill Crystal. Please do. This is We have to wind it up. But yeah, no, know, end with Bill Crystal. Because... I just want to end with this. Bill Crystal having a little tantrum on MSNBC yesterday about how all these people, all these party elites who are now sucking up Donald Trump, it's like they just completely forget what he said yesterday. It's like they don't they just ignore all this crazy shit that he said last week, which should be disqualifying. But it's not. It's like, oh, my God, they're just pretending he never said all this crazy shit before, says Bill Crystal. The guy who handpicked Sarah Palin to be the running mate for the, the Republican Party. Was, yeah, who, He was the architect of the Iraq War. Yeah. The guy How's that said, new American century working out for you? You know, yeah. It, Sunni and Shia, that's yeah. way overblown. We're going to be out by Christmas. Yeah. The, uh, the sheer tonnage of things Bill Crystal is wrong about on any six-week period would sink a small boat. But, again, his friends in the media, the people who keep propping him up, they put him on MSNBC. They put Paul Manafort on MSNBC. They put Ann Coulter on MSNBC. This week, all this week, MSNBC has shown its true colors, which is Fox Light. Yep. And yep. – Everyone who interviewed him was polite enough not to say, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. What about the all this and this and this and this and this and this and this that you have depended on people forgetting so that you don't end up where you should be, which is selling tube socks at a highway overpass? Yeah, right, right. And Ann Coulter is going to have a new book out this summer. Yeah. Celebrating Donald Trump all of a sudden. Yeah. It's, it's just going to be instantly written. Obviously, she can write it in an hour and a half. Sure. Because well, it's a Dan Coulter book. I read the blurb. It's going to be a short book, a short but powerful book. Uh-huh. You know what it won't be? It won't be Strident because Strident people don't get. Don't get book contracts. Don't get book contracts. Right, right. I can't yeah. wait to see what Al Franken has to say about Ann Coulter's Donald Trump tome. I just, yeah. I can't wait for that. On that note, Drift Glass, each, each week. week we post to our Facebook page and website an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. Hercules has the most gorgeous blue eyes. And that is not the only reason Paul Ryan can eat his heart out. You can send your Internet Kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Hey, Driftless, how are you on your uh, thank you notes? Where are you on that? I'm pretty caught up. Oh, I'm not. 
Oh. I'm not. So, yeah. That, that's which it My apologies. Me yeah. Because you are such a much better person than I am. Well, and I'm just I'm behind and I I I'm behind by a couple months on the ones that came from the post office and I deeply apologize for that. Uh Summer's coming. I'll have some time to write letters, but uh, I right no, now I'm won't. a little bit late. No, you won't. Huh? <laughs> you have plans for me, do you, Drift Class, when the kids are gone? <laughs> I'm taking you on a romantic getaway to St. Louis. St. Louis, that's right. St. Louis in July for Maybe. my birthday. We will be at Netroots Nation. And July 16th is, is Netroots Nation is over July 16th, mm-hmm. and uh, that's my birthday. So we're going to have a really good time. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll get to see a lot of you guys there. If you would coming. love to see you all, would love, love to, to see you. Guys there. Yep, and we'll put out hashtags and so forth and make sure people know where you, we can uh, meet up yes. during the convention. We'd love, love, love to do that. Yes, we would. All right. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage, either hot or iced, for yourself, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. We believe in buying local, and we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box store. That does bring money into our pocket and pays us for our podcast work, and we appreciate your shopping at Amazon with our link. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are the kind of person who shakes your phone on a Friday afternoon or reloads the screen over and over, where's the podcast, where's the podcast? and you have not sent us five bucks, and you have a job, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you pay your bills first. But right. if you have a job and you're able to buy uh, an iced latte for yourself every once in a while, send us five bucks because you're shaking and uh, shaking your phone and refreshing your screen mm-hmm. because we do this work. Mm-hmm. And the only way we get paid for this work is if our listeners contribute. So, yeah. again, if you're out of work or stressed or single mom or student or whatever you are whatever your situation is yeah don't worry this is our gift this is our gift to you this is our gift to you exactly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. approximately one percent of our listeners do support this podcast with a contribution and you can too see our website professionalleft.blogspot.com for details both our paypal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. Hey, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? You know, Blue Gal, like all Americans, the Internet Kitties are looking forward to being sued by Clive and Bundy any day now. Let's think about living. Think about living. Let's think about loving. Think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the wine and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2016, Drift Glass, Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Drift Glass. Science Fiction University, we have two stories this week. Uh, they are based on what we call the fish picture. Mm-hmm. And let me describe that for a moment for those people just tuning in. Uh, On the right-hand side of the picture, there is a tall stack of ramshackle houses, uh, one on top of the other, made out of uh, a really uniform wood, but sort of, not twigs, but but sort of small pieces of wood, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of woven together in a very ramshackle sort of way. And then on the left-hand side of the picture is 
what appears to be either a tank or a cross-section of a cloudy lake with a very large fish uh, in the water. Partially visible. Partially visible, yes. Uh And uh, rather menacing or not, depending on your perspective. So, Uh But very large. The fish is large. So uh, we're going to start with... L.E.'s story, is that right? L.E.'s story? Yeah. And you're going to read this one? Yes, I am. All right. I'm going to begin right now. Imagine a multiverse. No, not that one. Imagine plates stacked up to dry, the edges of them touching where they lean against each other. Or visualize bubbles, each of them individually a self-contained world, occasionally tumbling and merging and splitting off to form new bubbles. Or maybe think of a tree. Many branched with infinite possibilities until each ending with a leaf, which was, while similar, a completely original leaf. Now throw the metaphor away, all of them, because all of this, while very pretty and succinct, is a complete and utter lie. What Isaac knew was that the whales were back. How the whales were back, considering that Isaac lived on the fifth floor of a ramshackle building that usually overlooked a shallow, polluted pond, where even the snakes died, was another question. Nevertheless, despite the fact it was impossible, the lamp on Isaac's desk threw light across dark water to hit the dull white of a huge monster's side. A monster who was smiling with teeth larger than Isaac's forearm, and peering into his room with one great yellowed eye. Its expression indicated that Isaac would make a very lovely snack as soon as it worked out how to get over there. Isaac reached across his desk and turned the light off. The whale vanished. Late afternoon sunlight streamed through the window. When Isaac looked out, the muddy brown water of the pond didn't look back. His head tilted, running through equations. Isaac was blaming quantum for the whales. That was the nice thing about quantum. You could use it to blame anything. All right. Yeah, all right. When we read this before, because we we do rehearse these stories uh, our, ourselves, we read them aloud to each other uh-huh. uh, once before, and I told you when you read this to me the first time that I thought that that first paragraph about imagine a multiverse... Uh-huh. And the leaves and the bubbles and all of that, that that should just be cut off, that that yep. didn't belong in the story. Yep. And now that you've read it a second time, I think about Isaac and his desk, and and I'm starting to think that maybe this first paragraph about the multiverse is actually Isaac writing something. Ah, okay. And if that's the case, then you might want, L.E., might want to set that off in italics right. or somehow introduce it as this. these are diary entries of Isaac's. Mm-hmm. And then he is sitting at his desk with a lamp and he's writing and he's throwing things away and coming up with metaphors and writing uh, about infinite possibilities when all of a sudden the whales are back. And that really works. It does. That teaches you so much about Isaac mm-hmm. that and the, and his thought processes and, works to great effect. Uh, That's working in the book that I'm getting through slowly, but the book, The Lost Time Accidents that I'm reading by John Ray, uh, one of the the main character, the narrator of the story is writing letters. 
to the woman he loves. And that's uh, how the story is told. It's addressed to the same person over and over again. And the whole history of his family. And it really works not only to tell you the story, but you find out so much about the thought process of the narrator that way. Uh Um, Because you're spying, basically, on his writing. Uh, So, yeah, I really, if that's the case, I really like that. And that really works for me. Uh, And I like the, uh, the fact that. He de- he doesn't know, you know, it vanishes, it comes in and out, and mm-hmm. he he winds up blaming Quantum, which is, can can also have, I always like to find a giggle in the middle of a nightmare. That's a right. review that one of my, one of my mother's uh, reviewers of her paintings called uh-huh. it, that uh, her paintings were a giggle in the middle of a nightmare. And that is also very, um, it, it, it works. That's what I mean to say. Yeah, th- this is definitely nightmare juice. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, this picture is nightmare juice. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, the Ellie throws in good colors. There's yeah. white and there's red, dull white and red, and mm-hmm. size of things, and mm-hmm. and just sort of this sort of looming presence right outside of his window. Um, in in the spirit of what you just suggested, I would actually suggest reordering the paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac reached across his desk. Should be the first paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. And then what Isaac knew was the whales were back. Mm-hmm. And then how the whales were back, because the fourth paragraph really does jump you right into things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only flaw with the first one is that it's too preamble mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, that's and I what I thought. You're yeah. right. Yeah. But just, just moving them around a little bit, um, reordering what you already have here might get you off to a faster start. Uh, with what is a very interesting story, and I would strongly urge you to continue working on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is funny, and it's weird, and it certainly is science fiction. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's uh, it r- reminds me of um, if you're looking through uh, for a place to look for a story that an old Robert Heinlein story. Everybody take a drink. Everybody take a drink called The Unpleasant Profession of Jonathan Hogue. Very early Heinlein, you know, young man Heinlein, before he settled into Lazarus Long and writing about the Libby, you know, Andy Libby and the Howard Foundation and so forth. Very early Heinlein when he was just writing all kinds of different stories. And this is about the world being a place that was a canvas, a piece of art that was painted over. And the world we know is the second piece of art that's here. But the first piece of art keeps leaking through. Ah. And it leaks through through the mirrors. Oh, my goodness. And very bad things happen to people who stumble upon this fact or or taken because the first painting was savage and brutal and uh, had other characteristics. And there's an art critic sent from basically God, except the God is, in this case, the young artist who shows a lot of promise. Um to decide whether or not the, the world will be allowed to survive or not. And he likes certain things and doesn't like certain things. But there's a moment when the world is being reordered, when the couple, who are basically the center of the story, are told to drive to Mexico, I believe it is. Just drive. Don't roll the window down. Just drive. And they drive through a sunny day, and everything's fine, and cops are waving them through traffic, and everything's great. And they stop to ask for directions, and they roll their window down, and... As the window rolls down, the scene in the window is like a uh, video screen 
that's um, losing its uh, picture from the top down. Oh, wow. The, the outside yeah. world is nothing but gray fog. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the, the cop is still there. The half a policeman, the, the pretty day is visible through all the other windows. And that's not really what's going on. And there's this juxt- this wild juxtaposition of what they are being shown in their car mm-hmm. to reassure them and what's really happening in the world and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, read the story. You'll find out. Mm-hmm. But just that sense of, okay, um, it, 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 this is what it reminds me of, and in a very positive way. So keep up the good work, Ellie. Yeah, Ellie is, um, you have talent. I mean, I, I I have not been disappointed with any of the writing that we've no. read. No. Uh, but uh, some people uh, write with more confidence than others, and um, I think Ellie has uh, a lot under her belt uh-huh. Um, in terms of confidence and just using words in a, a flowing way that um, is far more difficult than she makes it look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, good job. Good job. And we're, and, this, uh, we're doing this rather late at night, so oh, now it's going to have bad dreams, so congratulations. Yeah, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Uh, and and equally good is Becca's story, and hers is based on the same picture. We wanted to do sort of compare and contrast different approaches to this, and, and this is the same picture written from another perspective. Becca writes, uh, she, she has a title for her story. It is Home. He put his hands to the boards of home as near the wall as he dared. Alice had put her hand on the shining blue once, and she hadn't ever recovered. It had to do with whatever lived in there, a whisper away from the creaking, swaying cradle of home. The wall made noises, too, and sometimes they weren't so bad, when it was a thrum or a click. No one talked about the other noises. Thomas? He turned to see his mother gray and pinched with concern. Get out of it, and aren't you supposed to help Mildred with the repairs? Sorry, Mom, I'll go right now. She softened a little and reached, holding a small wrapped package. I got you some lunch. There's hard work to be done, and Mildred is liable to skin you alive if you're as much later. Now get! He hurried toward the northwest corner where Mildred was fixing the new damage. The wall had been rippling in the night, and every time it did, it knocked pieces off of home. Every time they shorted up, because what other choices could there be? The walls were everywhere these days, and most ground wasn't fit to take seeds, to take foundations, to tolerate the lives of humans. Thomas glanced up at the towering wall above him. There was something in there again. That hadn't used to happen that much either, and tonight there would be a rousing conversation over meal about whether it had resembled a flying saucer, an animal called a whale, or a submarine of the United States. The same people would take the same sides, the same argument, over whether this was still the United States or simply a new place of 300 or so humans in a vast wooden complex called home. 
If everything else changed, that argument could be counted on. Mildred looked furious by the time he got there, and what kind of time do you call this? Sorry, ma'am, I forgot to keep track. She grunted a response and handed him a hammer. He started to work, but then the wall made a sound he had never heard before. It was music, and it was terrifying. The noise of something beautiful and entirely wrong. What's happening? I don't know, but we need to get inside right now. She saw the look on his face. I know, I know, but it's all the protection we have anymore. Just home and family. Go inside and find your mother. Run. Hmm. This is just a lovely story. It is. Again, written with a great deal of confidence. It, it is. Yeah. It, it jumps around in a way that is very um, um, non-jarring. Mm-hmm. There are... You know, there are old family arguments mm-hmm. that happen mm-hmm. around a table. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to take the same side they always take. Mm-hmm. It's boring and it's human. And it happens in every family. Juxtapose against this truly weird thing that is going on with people. Amidst a disaster. Yes. I mean, you have all kinds of th- – you have crisis, but you also have decay, long-term uh-huh. – Decay and and she just follows her mind and the minds of her characters and the events that as they happen. Yeah. And as you say, it just flows. It's yeah. beautiful how it just flows. And they're right. living in this world. They're not observing yeah. it. No. This yeah. is a place where they have to live. And and the argument about whether or not it's still the United States. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. it's just lovely. And yeah. th- there's something about the um the phrase um, a submarine of the United States. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that reminds me of um, almost Joseph Conrad, mm. someone whose who's English is a second language, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. who masters it so beautifully that they turn prose into love. There's just something about, I don't know what it is, uh, but it's not a United States submarine. It's a sub yeah. of the United States. Well, maybe there isn't a United States anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of memorable images in here. A lot of, you know, a lot of stuff packed into a, a very small space. Mm-hmm. Um, don't touch that wall. Yeah. Because yeah. touch the blue and bad things going to happen. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. won't ever recover. Um, you cited the book that you're reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to talk about the similarity between this and a, a lovely book you've got me called The Gone Away World. Yes, and right. that's a new one, too, also. Nick, Nick yeah. Harkaway. And this is the world in the aftermath of the Gone Away War. And it's not, you know, there are flashbacks and there are flash-forwards, but essentially the the byproduct of this war, using whatever weapons and technology were used, is that there is a, the world is now surrounded by essentially a wildly hallucinogenic field that causes terrible things to happen. If you see someone walking through a suburb outside of the safe zone, don't go near them because they're not real. Mm. Um, and you don't want, and, and there's a, a pipe that they have built around the world that sprays this mist that keeps the scary nightmare shit away. Wow. And yeah. if you live inside the safe zone, you're fine. But it's the world that has been 
compressed and confined to this one little safe area and everything outside of it, you can go a little bit outside. And there's a little bit there. There are, you know, projects to reclaim parts of the world and they run a little pipe out here. They run a little pipe out there. But something is something bad is, is happening mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. But the, this idea that the world doesn't just fall apart in a traditional sense, in the in the traditional science fiction apocalypse, nuclear, mm-hmm. environmental, or zombies or whatever, yeah. Heavy, yeah, which I'm not making light of any of those. They they no. are all exploitable. They're all um, very good. But this isn't a giant comet. This is something completely um, terrifying and surreal that has interjected itself into our world and that we are now having to cope with. And we're not sure what it is. We figured out a way to hold it at bay, but you know, it's, it's, we're, we've either fought it to a standstill or we're losing. And the idea of living in that world and then just explaining it as you go through your daily life, um, is a, is a daunting task. And I think, um, Becca has done a really good job of starting that story. Mm -hmm. Whatever her story is, man, I want to hear, I want to hear the rest of it. Yeah, she could go on for an entire novel with this. Oh, yeah. This is this is yep. not a. This doesn't have to be a short story. No, absolutely. There is not. so much family dynamic in this this one page, mm-hmm. one single space page. She's got the makings of an entire world that can go on for three hundred pages. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, so. and, and it an animal called a whale. Mm-hmm. Why do you need to tell me that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm glad you did. But it says something really specific about the person who's narrating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it resembled a flying saucer. I don't know if that means, you know, everyone knows what a flying saucer looks like because we've seen them in movies. Or there are flying saucers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this looks like one of them. And that means something distinctive because we've been invaded or, or conquered or some other incredibly bad thing has happened. Um, yeah, I want to I see where this goes. And I want Becca to keep working on this. Yeah. And I want Becca to put a stamp on it <laughs> and mail it off to a publisher. Absolutely. Um, because it, unless, you know, she doesn't want to. If this is just a five-finger exercise and you're off doing other things, that's great. But um, pretty much across the board, the stuff we've gotten during this Science Fiction University 2.0 has been wonderful and, mm-hmm. and a pleasure to read. And mm-hmm. I'd like to thank you as a science fiction writer and reader of science fiction for your imagination and your contributions. It's, it's really quite excellent. And uh, uh, it, it takes my mind off politics. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. It's very yes, good. It's a good yeah. thing to do every once in a while. Yeah. Well, thank you, Drift Glass. And we'll be back next week with two more stories. Also, I will... Um, on our Twitter stream, which is at ProLeft Podcast, mm-hmm. and at our Facebook page, which you can just look up Professional Left Podcast on Facebook, I will put links to both of these books that we mentioned. I know I've done that uh, on yeah. our Facebook page with the Lost Time Accidents, but I'll also do that with the book that you mentioned. And uh, so if people are interested in checking those out, either at their library or through our Amazon link, mm-hmm. you can do that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll make sure that gets out. And uh, again, or, or have my, my intern do it. Yeah. <laughs> chop, chop. Get on that. All right. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week with more Science Fiction University. I love you, Drift Glass, very you. much. Happy Friday the 13th, Blue Gal. Happy Friday the 13th. I, I kind of love your brain. Yeah, well. 
you know, it wanders all over the place, but it always comes home. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll Love talk you, baby. to you later. Bye. Bye.